in uh, Hammersmith, or Hammersmith Fulham border. Nice to see you. Welcome. Yeah. And you worship at St. Paul's. Indeed. Yep. You've, you've been there for how long? Uh, about two and a half years now, altogether. Yeah. And before that, where, where were you? Uh, in Bromley, uh, leafy Bromley, southeast London, right on the borders of the London Bromley border. Bromley Kent border. Yeah. London Bromley border. This is very confusing. London. You knew, you knew where you lived. I know where I live. Yeah. Now, uh, during the day, what do you do for a living? Uh, I direct an organization uh, called Formation, uh, which is an organization focused on leadership development and on trying to encourage people to live what we call a spectacular, ordinary life. Uh, so that takes up a lot of my time, uh, traveling around the world, teaching, preaching, seminars, all sorts of things like that. And speaking of seminars, I see a leaflet on that uh, you, desk. You do see a leaflet. Uh, this is a leaflet about the School of Formation, uh, which will be taking place just behind Charing Cross Hospital um, over a six-day, uh, six-Saturday period over eight months. Uh, and you are invited to this School of Formation. Uh, it's about developing a spectacular, ordinary life. Uh, it is about wisdom. How do we live wisely in the world? Uh, it's about trying to engage the life of the Holy Spirit in the spectacular and in the ordinary, in the everydayness of your own life. And it's about developing intimacy with God. It's about developing friendship with God. So those are the main themes uh, around the School of Formation. And there's a leaflet that's available at the back if you're at all interested. <laughs> I'm sure many people yeah. are, Viv. Um, it's lovely to, to have you speaking with us. You've got some books as well. You're around at the back. Can you stay afterwards? I certainly can. Yeah, we'll Great. be around at the back. Um, there are some books available, and they're on a donation basis. So whatever you think they're worth, you can do whatever you like. Uh, if you need the books free, then please take them free. Wonderful. Viv, thank you. Um, just, yeah, come and step down. Uh, where's Alan? I saw him. Here we are. Alan's going to come and read, and then Viv will speak. Um, if you could um, turn in your green Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, <coughs> uh, you'll find that on page 1594. We're starting at verse 1. So it's John, Gospel of John, chapter 9, first one. It's just underneath the heading, Jesus Heals a Man Born Blind. Yeah, you've got it. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night's coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. 
Others said, nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to share some thoughts with you this morning on uh, I am the light of the world uh, or the incident of holy mud. Uh, There is a church father who introduced us to two critical questions as to how you work out what's going on in your own life. And uh, the questions were these. Uh, The idea was at the end of the day, you ask yourself these questions. And the first question is, uh, what brings you life? What brings you life? And then the second question is, what takes life from you? Or what brings you death? What brings you life? And what brings you death? And the idea is that to keep your life centered on what God wants you to be and do, uh, you ask yourselves those two questions and find out, so what was this day like? Was this a day of life or was this a day of death? Well, what brings you life? What brings you death? Uh, I've got a list here of possibilities. Television. Does it bring you life or does it bring you death? or something in between. Uh, I've got no doubt daytime television brings you death. Personally, that's my own feeling on the matter. Uh, Commuting brings you life or brings you death. Eating brings you life. It's supposed to, but there's a lot of messages around that tell us you eat in the wrong way and it brings you death. Uh, London brings you life or brings you death. Sex, uh, bring you life or bring you death? Uh, Music, does that make you fully alive or does it drive you mad or is there somewhere other in between? Sport, watching sport, playing sport, does that bring you life or does that bring you death? Your family, bring you life? or bring you death, or something else in between. Well, here in this book of John, we are introduced to Jesus. And Jesus, it speaks about him in John chapter 1, verse 13, and says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. Uh, What it means is that he is to bring through his life, light into the world. And there's a connection between the life of Jesus and the light of Jesus. So it's pretty critical to understand what's happening in John and to understand what's happening in this passage. Uh, Again, 
Jesus said similar things uh, in John chapter 8, verse 12. And it may help you to follow this in the scriptures if you've got it in front of you. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this, or it says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus being the light of the world with the idea that this light will bring life. That's the purpose of the light. And that's why Jesus gathers this image to himself. Uh, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in, uh, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the big idea, one of the big ideas in John, and one of the big ideas in this text is this, that when Jesus comes, he brings life, full, abundant, overflowing, rich life. That's what he does. In all the areas that I mentioned, uh, he's working and operating in all of those areas to bring his life. And that life comes about as he brings about this light that shines into our hearts and into our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. So the idea is this, that as you live your life and you live your life with Jesus, then you're on a process of moving from nighttime to daytime. You're on a process of moving you from darkness to light. You're in the middle of a process that is getting you out of shadows and into places of sunlight. That you're in a process of moving out of the fear and caves of your life and onto the great, big, broad plains of freedom that are offered to us in Jesus Christ. That's what a lot of the book of John is about, and I think that's what a lot of this story is about from John chapter 9. How do you get moving from a place of death and blindness and darkness and move into a place of rich life and light that comes to us in Jesus Christ? So how do you get into this light? This guy's story really, really helps us and shows us how this kind of works. And the first thing is it, display, it, it explains to us that we understand our lives, see our lives, as God's display. Life as God's display. Um, a few years ago, my wife and I were leading a church uh, in another part of London. And um, we decided that it was time for us to leave that church and go to Pakistan. Uh, we were going to go for a couple of years, and I was going to do some teaching, and Sheila was going to do, well, we weren't quite sure. Um, I remember being with the Sunday school when the teachers, Sunday school teachers call us out to pray for us before they released us to go to Pakistan. And um, the teachers gathered around us and they started to pray. 150 children in this church. As they were praying, one of the teachers started to cry. I thought, this is terrible. Uh, this teacher started to cry. Then I started to cry, because I didn't really want to go in some ways. And then if you've ever been with adults crying with children, 
a, a mass movement started to take place. And then the front row started to cry. And then a few more children started to cry. And then before it was over, there was about half the people crying. And I was thinking, how cruel, how cruel of me. How can I leave these people and go off to Pakistan and uh, leave them in this state? How terrible it is of me to do this. And at the end of the Sunday school, there were two girls we took home. They were both crying. And I said to one of them while she was in the back of the car, I said, are you all right, dear? She said to me, Pastor, my dog's dead. I said, your dog's dead? And the other one was crying. And I said, why, why are you crying? She said, now the dog's dead, we can... We can get a cat. And I discovered that they weren't crying about me at all. <laughs> that my departure was not an issue for them. Rather, what had happened was they kicked in to their own issues, their own issues of life, and that's where the emotion lay. And there was me in a place believing that this was about me. Now, there's a very simple thing right at the front of this passage that's critical, and that is this, that this man's life, the way in which he is going to get healed, his blindness is going to go, is that he is there because God is going to do something in his life. In other words, he is not the center, he is not the theater of his own life. That the key issue is God's display in his life, is what God is going to do to make this man alive, make this man full of light, make this man see what's really going on. And that's what Jesus says is going to be the case uh, with this particular man. See what it says in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this has happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, if you are going to get into the life of God, this is a really important issue. Because you can think, you can be drawn in, particularly in Parsons Green or Hammersmith, that my life is about me, the articulation of my gifts and abilities, that I will live out my life, and the culture says it's all about you. Jesus says it's not. It's not about the articulation of your gifts. The whole way in which this works is that you are here, created for the glory of God being played out in your life. In other words, the place where you are fully alive is not where you reach your zenith of self-articulation, not when you are at your brilliant best. But the place where you are fully alive is when the glory of God is being demonstrated in your life as you enter into this rich world of being decentered by God, and God does his work in you. And if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to mature and really get on with this, then you've got to realize that, that you are not the center of your own life. And that was what this man was starting to discover, and it was a pretty important thing for him, and I think it's a pretty important thing for us. This blind beggar was about to be healed so he'd get life 
but he was to be the demonstration of the glory of God. That was how it was going to work. The second thing that's critical about this guy is the way in which he got life was through encountering Jesus. He got life through encountering Jesus. And there is, first of all, this unique encounter when Jesus cures his blindness. And uh, what Jesus does is Jesus uh, takes his own spit and mixes it up with mud and puts it on his eyes. Uh, I was with an inquiring, theologically orientated four-year-old a few years ago, and she asked me this intriguing theological question, which was, is rain God's spit? Um, it's a great question. Well, here is the spit of God. Here is Jesus taking saliva from his mouth, mixing it up with mud, and putting it on the front of this guy's face, putting it over his eyes. And this guy is on this unique journey of his own personal encounter with Jesus. It was never repeated in exactly the same way. Jesus never did this again in exactly the same way. But he was drawing this man into his particular world, encountering Jesus up close and personal. It was Jesus saying to this guy, you're blind, and my spit and the creation of this dirt, this mud, is for you. This is my gift to you. And when Jesus is doing his work in our lives, it is unique and it is particular. There are things he does in general, and there are things he does particular. And he gets hold of this mud and puts his spit into it and puts it on his eyes. And this guy is in this weird place of having further covers put on his eyes. Not only can he see, but now there's mud over his eyes. And that's the way Jesus is taking him on this unique journey that will make him fully alive. And Jesus comes to you through the life of the Holy Spirit, up close and personal. It may not be mud for you. It may not be spit for you, but it will be something where Jesus puts his life into you, uniquely noticing the person you are, leaning into your shape and your need, and making you understand that this is how you will see, this is how you will come to life. And this man encounters that sort of up close, personal stuff. It is decidedly weird. If uh, the Reverend Tim Stilwell came up to you this morning and said, close your eyes, I've got some spit and mud to put on your face, you would say, I will become a Catholic if you don't mind, or some other thing. I'll move on. And here is Jesus doing something weird. And often personal stuff is weird. It's strange. You don't know how you got into it. But here I am, encountering and walking through the life of God. And that's what Jesus did uh, for this particular guy as he shaped him and made him uh, in his own life. The other encounter, which is at the end of the text, is not personal in some senses. It's universal. So if you go right to the end of chapter 9, please, if you're following in this text, in verse 35... This is right at the end of the story. Uh, Jesus heard 
that they had thrown him out. And when they found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And his second encounter with Jesus, which happens a little later on in the story, is a kind of universal encounter. When Jesus says to him, asks him these critical questions that he asks everybody who wants life. And the question is this, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? The question is, and the answer is, Lord, I believe. And this guy's been on this journey from physical darkness and spiritual darkness to light, and Jesus comes with the question, uh, what do you want to happen? So he goes through this uh, particular encounter, and then this universal encounter. And if you're going to get into the life of God, be able to grow and mature and develop as a Christian, this question is always there. Uh, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Are you ready to walk with me through the middle of what I'm about to lead you through? And the answer is, Lord, I believe. And that's universal, where we're drawn into this life of God. So this guy has to encounter Jesus. And the way to life is encountering Jesus, not just intellectually, not just through understanding some key doctrines of the faith, but through this personal encounter and the answering of the question, Jesus is Lord. Now, does this come easy? Does this come through advertising? Uh, does this come through just picking up a telephone? Well, for some people, this is relatively easy in the initial stage. But for this guy, it was not. Because what we understand from this story is he gets into this life through considerable turbulence. Uh, this is an uh, encounter that doesn't bring nice, light, sweet feelings for him. He suddenly is plunged into a world of huge transition and huge change. And he enters into a world of turbulence. And if you are going to encounter the life and light of God, can I almost guarantee you this, that you're going to head for trouble. If you enter into a world where you want life and light and to be fully alive in God, do not imagine that this will be an easy road. Do not imagine that everything will go well with you once you encounter Jesus Christ and start to pray and live his life. It often doesn't work that way, and it didn't work this way with this guy. The first thing that happened with him was that he encountered the neighbors. The neighbors. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever had any problems with your neighbors. Um, it's difficult to sell your house if you have, so watch out. He encountered the neighbors. And suddenly these neighbors have got opinions about this guy and what Jesus has just done for him and shaped him. Uh, verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How weird is that, having to prove his own identity? Uh, because suddenly Jesus has done something. And it's as though the neighbors actually couldn't care less that much about this guy. 
uh, what they needed to do was uh, get the, the, their own turbulence and their own disturbed lives sorted out. How can we process this social phenomenon that's happening around us? They're full of questions, but they almost don't seem to notice what's happening. Maybe they're in shock. This blind guy now can see. So the neighbors are disorientated. His parents, they have no idea what's going on. And his parents are very afraid as to what's happened. The fact that this guy moves from darkness to light does not fill them with zeal. They're not overwhelmed by this. They're rather overwhelmed by fear. They don't like it. Because the social consequences of what's happening here in this situation uh, for these guys. Look at chapter 9 and verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And that was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so his parents, you'd imagine, they'd be thrilled. But they're scared. They're scared of what's happening to this guy. And they're scared of what may happen to him if they align themselves with their own son. So they're on the move. They're trying to avoid this. And then there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are deeply disturbed. The religious rulers are deeply disturbed with this phenomenon. And they want to nail it. They want to get rid of it. They actually want to get rid of Jesus, but they particularly don't like what's happening in front of them at this particular time. And the Pharisees do not like this holy mud spit thing that Jesus has just done. And they particularly don't like when he did it. Now, there's a remarkable thing about religious people. And if you're religious, and I count myself as religious, you've, you've got to watch this. That you can sometimes put your attention on totally the wrong thing. These Pharisees were putting their attention on their own fear and on Jewish law. They missed entirely that this guy got life. In other words, they didn't notice his story. They didn't notice this wonderful thing that was happening in him. They rather noticed their own fear. They paid attention to that. Their own position, they paid attention to that. And they kind of tried to make sure they suppressed this. And here are the religious people of their day, uh, the ones who are kind of in charge, supposed to be in charge of delivering life, finding themselves doing exactly the opposite. And so this guy gets into his life through turbulence and through all sorts of things that you think would not be there. Surely everybody would like the story, but they did not. And if you're going to encounter a journey of moving from death to life, you will encounter that turbulence at some point. It will be intense at some times. Other times it will be a breeze. You'll have a great time. Uh, but sometimes you will have to face the powers that will stand against you if you're going to get into the life that Jesus offers. Final main thing I want to say is that here you have this guy on a journey, and what we discover is this guy has developed, is developing a Jesus-shaped life. He is being shaped like Jesus. Because there's a journey going on here. He encounters Jesus. Uh, he gets this, uh, his sight, his physical sight, he goes through all of these things that are happening to him. This man's life is being transformed. 
and he is becoming Jesus-shaped. And simply, the more Jesus-shaped you are, the more life you have. The more shaped like him, the more fully alive you become. The less shaped like him, the more death, the more uh, isolation, the more difficulty, uh, the more deadness. And here is this guy who's been blind from birth, uh, socially intimidated parents in this process of transformation, moving him along the line as to what it means to be a guy fully alive in the life of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing that starts to happen in his life. And there's kind of four things that indicate the life that this guy's got that start to operate. And the first one is he gets courage. He gets courage. This guy, uh, somehow in the middle of all this social uh, transformation that's happening, gets courage. The Pharisees call him up and try and check him out theologically. They didn't like this. They wanted to sort him out. He speaks to them. This is a blind beggar, social lowlife in front of high religious authorities. They challenge him. Verse 30, this is what he says. The man answered, now that this, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly persons, the person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were from God, he could do nothing. And this guy courageously takes these Pharisees on who seem to be saying uh, that uh, they know where life lies. And this guy saying to them, oh, no, you don't. Because if you did, you would know what this guy has done. You would know him if you really knew what was going on. And he challenges them. And one of the evidences of moving into the life of God is courage. Is that you move out of a place of a coward and you move out of a small little space in your own life and your own little fears and self-talk and you move courageously towards the future. You look at the implications as to what Jesus has done on the cross and all of his life and light that he's given to you and you get courage. One of the marks of a, of a life fully alive in God is, as we sort of encountered a bit in our prayers this morning, uh, stepping away from fear and saying, this is what he's done. Listen, this is what he has done. And I speak to you courageously because this is what he has done. And you speak out on the basis of that which he has done. Linked with that is authority. He, socially, it's almost impossible. But this guy has got authority. And what I mean by authority is that he knows what's happened to him, and he's about to speak very clearly and very boldly into the situation. And one of the characteristics of a life fully alive in God with eyes open and with heart aflame is authority. That you're able to say courageously, this is what he has done uh, and this is what it looks like. And I come to you not apologetically. I come to you not to to step back and just be intimidated. I come to you with authority. 
and say, this is what happened to me. This is what it looks like. And one of the characteristics of a life fully alive in God is that sort of authority. Not that you become the boss or you can tell everybody what to do now, but you know your story and you live it out to the full. Third characteristic of this guy as he becomes Jesus-shaped is belief. So he says, Lord, I believe. And when Jesus is shaping your life and opening up your eyes, you get into a world of belief. And you maybe don't get it all, you maybe don't get it all perfectly, but you enter into a world of faith and belief and say, yes, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm focused on. And then the fourth characteristic of life is worship. That he comes and says, Lord, I worship. I bow myself before you. I take my life and I put it into your life. I worship at you. And he is on the way to becoming Jesus-shaped. So simply, uh, are you alive? Are you on the road to life? Is Jesus transforming you? Are your eyes being uh, made open in spite of all the difficulties and pressures and strains? Is Jesus doing this to you? Are you in this process of becoming fully alive? The great thing is this. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So he is light and he is life to the world. And if we are going to be able to reach Parsons Green and West London and Britain and the places we prayed for this morning, a world needs a church that's got open eyes, big hearts, that says yes to Jesus and enters into his life. So, Parsons Green, are you up for this? Yeah? Should we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful thing you did with this guy. Thank you that you put your spit on his face and he could see. Will you put your spit on our faces? Whatever it is, Lord, that will make us alive and cause us to be people who mature and grow in you, that you, light of the world, may shine through us and that through us and through the gospel and through the church, people may receive your life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Viv, thank you very much indeed. The gift of life. Uh, do catch Viv at the end over coffee uh, if you want to look at his books at the uh, Formation Flyers. Talk to him about anything that he's uh, spoken of this morning. Uh, we come now to our final hymn, a celebration of the amazing gift of God, his life for us, amazing grace. And as we sing this, an opportunity to give financially to the life and work of the church. But if you're visiting, please don't feel obliged to give. Uh, although if you'd like to, then please do make, and you're a taxpayer, then please do make the most of the um, envelopes at the end of the pews. They make your gift more tax efficient to the life of the work of the church here. Let's stand as we sing together. <laughs> I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how 
let's have another go at that verse. Twas grace that standing for our thanksgiving prayer. Thanks, Ross. Heavenly Father, for all your good gifts to us, we want to recognize and acknowledge them. And by way of response, these gifts and offerings help us to use them wisely so that others